And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 237 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. Hey, Brian. How's hey. it going? It's going all right. Brian is in a new recording setup or whatever, and there's this very, like, evil genius vibe. I think it's because I could see your hands at the bottom of the frame. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just need a fluffy white cat to pet through. Oh, that would be session. ideal, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, except if I don't allow, ever... except I don't allow my cat in my bedroom because uh yeah. <laughs> well, too bad if we ever start live streaming this, which spoilers, never gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You are you are now contractually obligated to to pet a cat through the That's entire That's fine. Day. I will get a you know what, I'll get a stuffed cat. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like a like a like a you know, a stuffed animal and yeah. We'll yeah. do that. Not like a taxidermied cat. A a, a stuffed oh, animal. Oh god, no. No, no. Okay. Uh, um, we went a weird place already, huh? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of been like that. Yeah, it it really has. Um, let's talk about comics. Let's just do it. Let's, let's do that. Cut straight to the thing, and we're gonna start with X Men because who knows how long we're gonna talk about this? Oh, what the hell, Opal Saturnine? <laughs> what <laughs> the hell? So uh, there are two. Okay. I, I got a, like my I started reading this and at some point I don't even know at what point during it at some point like the only thing I could think of and could not get it out of my head was the old whose line is it anyway thing of the rules are made up where we go along and the points don't matter. <laughs> yep, that sounds about right. Um, good God, we are in Ten of Swords. We are in. The third week from the end, uh, I guess two weeks from the end, depends on whether you count the last week as a week or not. Correct. There are two two weeks of books after the one two we're discussing Two weeks of now. Ten of Swords left, yes. Yes. Um, and we are into the actual competition, which clearly there are no rules for. <laughs> Whatever Saturday yeah. makes up, because it's it's clearly not, you know, what it was positioned to be as combat. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is definitely less uh less feats of battle on the battlefield and more like I don't know, who can fuck with the rules and each other the most. Well, there's at least 3 of them where the person that wins the fight doesn't get the point. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's jump into Marauders first. Yeah. Um we see the first battle between well actually we pick up we pick up where we left off last time after Wolverine tried to stab Saturnine. Yes. Um I picked up this issue and I started to read it I'm like wait this is all in a recap page? Okay, clearly I'm reading these out of order. Well, no, the last issue said to read this one next. Let me check the last page of this. Nope, it says this one's next. 
The cover says this is part 14. Okay. I loved the whole um because you know, like all of the all of the books, right? What basically what they've done is they've had a page with a little bit of recap and like then you know they do a little square that has the characters that are going to be in the book. Yeah. Right? And like this one just like that it does it. It's got a nice long recap and then it the characters Wolverine. That's it. But the recap in this case is an entire block of text yeah. that is stuff we haven't seen happen involving uh, uh, Otherworld falling to the forces of Araco because there's no tournament because Wolverine stabbed Saturnine and now everyone has invaded Earth and defeated the Avengers and oops, the end, it's over. Here's Wolverine hanging on a cross. Yeah, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, and Thor are all dead. Yeah. And it is, of course, an X-shaped cross. And the place. only, and the basically the only person left alive is is Logan. Yeah. And then we learn it was all a dream, or a vision put in Wolverine's head by Saturnine as he tried to stab her, to show him maybe you shouldn't stab me, bro. Yeah. Like I've given you a gift. If you had done that, this is what would happen. Yeah. <laughs> um. So somehow, whatever, and here's this, I feel like this is important because why would, why would Saturnine drive this point home that it's important that you compete? If as much as she is fucking with Krakoa, she's not somehow trying to protect them. Like, I guess you could argue there's a self-interest otherworld angle, but... If they lose, Araco and and Ameth are still going to eventually encroach on and consume Otherworld. Yeah, I, but especially with the way that these different competitions are set up, and we're going to obviously go through them. But and the points are being on all of the. There's definitely she's got some other scheme in mind, and I think it has to do very specifically with what these contests are choosing to do with each of these people yeah like i mean one of them leads into that theory much more heavily than you know or more obviously than the others yeah yeah um we also poor 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 logan he he done fucked up um (laughs) for so many reasons he done fucked up that's the theme this week is logan my boy you done fucked up um, immediately after his vision, Doug starts, like, foaming at the mouth because Death tried to poison Wolverine, and Doug ate war. his sushi instead- Oh, sorry, War tried to poison yep. Wolverine. Um, Doug ate it, so Doug starts to die, the White Sword saves him, and Captain Avalon- goes to Saturn and he's like, you know, they cheated. You could just call this off in our favor. And she's like, well, I would, but your boy tried to stab me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You done fucked up, Logan. Yeah. Um, okay, so, like, going back through these now, after having read all of them, uh, I do actually have a bit of a theory forming, shall we say? Yeah. I think Doug is actually going to be the key to all of this. I mean, I feel like that got set up pretty well back in the New Mutants issue where he was I, I, training. Agreed, but specifically like, here, right. right? Because we have 
him getting poisoned uh-huh and saved by the white sword but specifically the white sword says and i release you of all obligation which you know we find out later has never happened he's never resurrected or saved anybody and yeah. not called them into his service right yeah to serve in his army to serve in his army right so we have that and then you know we have more that uh, we have um uh iska right who Gives him a, you know, basically a, a quick tracheotomy. <laughs> yeah. To keep him alive, right? So there's there's literally, he's becoming involved very quickly with everybody. Yeah. And <laughs> in in a in a moment, we'll get into another way that he gets involved uh, yeah, well, even yeah. more. Yeah. Um, But no, I think you're right. I feel like... And that's the thing, right? Like, he speaks to and he speaks for Krakoa. And what maybe feels less urgent as part of Ten of Swords, but is a big part of all the build-up to it, is Krakoa wants to be reunited with Arako and vice versa. Yes. Yep. Um, okay, so um, we got my quote of the week. Brian's quote of the week. Quote, quote. Uh, so... Like I said, we have this uh, war has poisoned Doug, so essentially, you know, tried to kill him. I love that sentence, by the way. War has poisoned Doug. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we have Iska, who literally stabs him in the throat with a knife, right? And then we have all of them, like, basically picking fights and all this, right? This whole thing going on. <laughs> and then we get sitting at the table, Apocalypse and Genesis, and Apocalypse looks over and he goes, hmm, I see you did well with the children. <laughs> I did my best. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was an excellent moment. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, then we get our first fight. Then we get our first fight, which so, um, Brian, if you were like say baseball players or professional wrestlers, picking music for each of these combatants to walk out onto the battlefield to. What would you pick for each of them? Oh God, man! I don't, I don't even know what to say. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm asking this question because I have a clear answer for Betsy. I, I mean, obviously, something, something did inspiration did strike you. Um, I, I do want to point out super quick before we do that though. The, uh, the last part of this party, which I absolutely adored, was was Magic and Cable testing Iska's ability to not win. <laughs> yes <laughs> by like having like this glass stacking contest like yeah. all these stupid little party things right or like find the, the the pencil under the cup or whatever it is what number am i thinking of you're not thinking of a number she's good yeah like yes it's just it's just beautiful i love it okay sorry uh yeah and then we get our first we do get our first contest which is Iska against betsy braddock captain brit um i i don't know betsy i mean there's some obvious like you, you can think like london calling right that would be a good no the answer is i go to pieces <laughs> i see what you did there <laughs> i see what you did there wow yeah uh, that'll do it yeah. <laughs> My only other answer that I actually have prepared is for the white sword. He should walk out to tub thumping because 
his whole army, they get knocked down, but they get up again. Yeah, You're never right, going to keep yep. them down. I get you. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Betsy looks like she's going to do okay at first. She's, and she's, she's holding her own. Yeah. I appreciate the crowd shots of everybody like cheering for their teams. Yep. Just maybe a little morbid, but like, I get it. I get where they're at. And I love Logan's uh, Logan's comment to Apocalypse. Like they're all cheering for Betsy, right? <laughs> and like Brian's like, she's got this in the bag. And Apocalypse is like, this is going to require some cleverness from her. While I've come to trust the heart and passion of the young, Iska's had the benefit of time. Her skills are honed by centuries. And Wolverine just looks at him and goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just holler for your lady. <laughs> <laughs> I identified so much with with Apocalypse in that moment. <laughs> Just um, shut up and cheer for your side. <laughs> right. Um, and then she goes to block a, a a swing from Iska. Yep. And the Starlight Sword begins to shatter, and then so too does Betsy. Yeah, she literally shatters like stained glass. <sighs> yeah. Like I figure, so, like this. This was maybe the moment where I was like, okay, no, Saturnine is up to something, because immediately Saturnine comes out and collects the pieces. I'm like, we don't know that Betsy's dead. She could be put back together again. If they get all the king's horses and all the king's men, (laughs) they could do it. Mm, I don't know. The king is Jamie, and I don't know that I'd trust that. (laughs) I don't know. He's wearing a really rad cape. Well. (laughs) <laughs> we do find out later he did bet against his own sister so well yes but but i love the reasoning behind that too there was actually a recent episode of judge john hodgman in which someone wrote in to settle an argument with someone else about whether it was in poor taste to wager that a particularly terrible candidate would win the presidential election so that at least if they won, this person would stand to gain something from it. <laughs> I was reading this, I'm like, where have I heard this argument recently? It's like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, because that's his logic is, well, at least if she loses, I'll, I'll at least I'll win some money. <laughs> yeah. I won't have to mourn my sister and lose my money. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, wow. He really does wear Sinister's cape. Well, I just can't get over that. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> um, and that takes us to challenge number two and Excalibur number 14. I like how you've changed them from uh, fights to challenges now. <laughs> well, I mean, as the rules change, I guess so too must the ways in which we describe these these events. Because this is not what one would traditionally, perhaps, unless one is a shitty comedian in the late 80s, early 90s, consider a fight. I was, I was going to say, unless you call it a lifelong fight, right? <laughs> that would be, which would be the shitty 80s comedian way of saying yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, Doug is up next, along with, oh shoot, what is, what is his uh, uh, Bay of the counterparts? That's it, yes. Bay of the Blood Moon. Yes. And I love the or, dynamic. Or, as I call it, uh, Araco Black Bolt. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Um, I love the dynamic that is set up between them. Yes. Where conceptually Bay doesn't speak in words so much as by projecting the meaning of what she says into those around her. Yes. Therefore, there is nothing for Doug to translate. Yeah, so we get this explanation about her, where basically her uh, her mutant ability, like she was raised as a, we find out, you know, she was raised as a warrior. Surprise, surprise, Morocco. Um, but like she, for the first fifty years of her life, she never spoke. When she did speak the first time, it destroyed a mountain. Hence the Black <laughs> Bolt reference. Yes. Yes. Um, and her power has come to be called the Doom Note, right? And we find out that the Doom Note wants to be understood, right? But that the way that happens is she doesn't actually speak a language of any kind. She just, like you said, projects her power, and because it wants to be understood, people understand the meaning that she has from it. Unless that person is Cypher. Who, because there is no language there, cannot translate it. Correct. So he is immediately, like, drawn to her and fascinated by her because he's never had to work to understand someone. Yeah. Which is good news because their challenge is marriage. Yeah, they, um, yep, congratulations. Doug got Um, married. Which, one of the best moments in this is he gives his, like, I've just met you and this is crazy. But here's my number, so I do, I guess. And then she gives these, like, really nice vows that are... She does. Like, sincere and, you know, I will fight for you, I will fight to protect you, yada, yada, yada. And was it Wolverine or Apocalypse who's like, oh, you should say yes. Uh, it's Apocalypse. He's like, uh... Yeah. Yeah, so like hers is like uh, love is a fealty that cannot be broken. I will love you with the force of the wave that crashes the shore and fight for you like the current that swallows the sand. And Doug looks over and he's like, "You guys can understand her, yeah?" And Apocalypse goes, "They are good vows, Douglas." <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the wedding crashers arrive. Well, then she pulls back her veil and Doug, which is the first time we've seen her uh, right. face. Right. Right. And. Doug is now all the more fascinated by her. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah, then the Wedding Crashers arrived. Um, the Wedding Crashers were introduced in Marauders 25. Betsy had telepathically signaled to Jubilee, who was still hanging out with the green priestesses and tending to Shogo the dragon, uh, to let her know that there was a fight coming, yada, 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 just checking in, whatever you do, don't come here. So when Betsy stopped reporting in, Jubilee hopped on Shogo and flew over and started uh, burninating the place. Yeah, so a couple things here. So, like, I, I very much got the impression when Betsy reached out to her, it was knowing she was getting ready to go into battle, and if she didn't live, she wanted to say bye. You know, yeah. have a last conversation, right? Um, well, when she did, when Jubilee knew that the fight was going to happen and then didn't hear from Betsy anymore after that. Yeah. Yeah, that's when she kind of lost it and picked up Shogo and they, they came. Um, so this is the point where, so the, the wedding, right, is where I was like, okay, something else is happening here with these challenges. Yes. And then specifically in this scene with Shogo is where I went, 
okay, Saturnine has some very much deeper plan that she is planning. Yeah. Because this is very clearly part of it. Saturnine's response is basically to let Storm handle Jubilee. Yep. And to ensorcel Shogo. Yep. Essentially. Yes. Um, and like let him be her domestic pet dragon that's hanging out. Yeah, and clearly having a dragon that can burn reality is part of her plan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um I do like how she takes the dragon fire that he breathes and turns it into fireworks for the wedding. Yes. Oh, we should point out that while the dragon's attacking and this whole thing is going on. Oh, I was about to. Yeah. Uh Doug and Bay are just kissing. <laughs> yeah. They basically look up and give a Oh, did we miss something? <laughs> hey, there's a reason why number one rule for both of them is make more mutants. <laughs> I love that, like, the chapters leading up to the competition are pretty focused and serious. Yes. And then these actual competition chapters are kind of goofy. <laughs> Can I say that the wedding is not the most unusual competition we get either? Are you saying, Brian, that it's not unusual to be loved by you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I simultaneously love and hate that. I get that a lot. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. What is our next challenge? Oh, boy, let's see. Um... So at this point, it's Arako 2 and Krakoa 1, because um, Arako basically, obviously, Isco 1 against Betsy, right? Yep. We should keep that tab running. And, uh, and, and then Bay the wedding counted point. as a point for both of them. They both won. Yeah. Certainly, Bay and Doug would agree, would think they both won. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so that was, uh, now we move to uh, Wolverine. Was there not a second challenge in... Excalibur? No, there are two were the the first fight is in Excalibur. It's Betsy and Okay, yeah. that's right. That's yep. right. Yes. I read these all in one big chunk. Yeah, so I, I mean I did too. I read them back to back. So they have bled a little sense, bit. That's right. Uh yeah, the next the next challenge is Wolverine and the Summoner, who are fighting in Blightspoke. Yep. Right? Um Which and- I love Blightspoke. This is such a cool place. Yeah, and isn't this where the Marshal is from? I think so, yeah. Yeah, because, like, it talks about how nobody can survive here, blah, 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 but, like, her and her posse somehow find a way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to note, this is specifically a fight to the death. Yeah, yeah, the the rules of this is it's a fight to the death. Um, This is very much a, like, the Marvel dark, dark multiverse feel, right? Yeah, like, like where it's... realities go to die is how they describe it. Yeah. Um and so they're fighting not only against each other but also against Blightspoke itself, right? And they go through all of this and eventually um Wolverine gets to a point and and stabs Summoner through the head with his Muramasa sword and Summoner dies. And because it was a fight to the death, point goes to Summoner for dying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we hear her. I, yeah, I said this was a fight to the death. Summoner fought to the death. He's like, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So Araka gets the point four to one now. Yeah. Then we get our next challenge. And okay, by the way, that was if you had any doubt at all that something weird was going on and that this was like fixed in a way, like that one takes away all doubt, right? Yeah. 
yeah i also i do want to mention um just the art especially in that sequence is gorgeous it is i meant to point out in the uh in the um in the excalibur book which is the one where doug gets married i was super happy that that wedding was done in that book so phil noto could draw it yeah yeah because that was like he was perfect for drawing all of that oh we we did skip one contest which is pog or pog versus magic i can't believe you skipped the best matchup where was that did i miss that one already that's uh yeah that's before the title page in wolverine it's the first four pages of wolverine oh i stopped that's what it is i stopped going back at that point i didn't go back far enough to see it yeah okay you gotta go back, Marty. You gotta go back. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, that's right. Magic walks into uh uh Ro- Roma Regina, where everything turns upside down, and is gonna fight Pogar Pogger Pog, and uh literally gets ready to stab him. And like you know, you give her at least even odds in this fight, right? As a matter of fact, if we look at the odds page that we got at some point, I think she actually has better than even odds against Pogger Pog, maybe because we did get that. We did get an odds page for each one of them surviving doug's was like five thousand to one <laughs> really bad but uh then saturnine summons away both of their weapons and then um they do a arm wrestling bit and uh magic versus pogger pog and just arm wrestling that was not nearly so much of a contest as just pogger pog winning <laughs> yeah like there's a basic physics issue here when one arm of pog or pog is the size of magic yes correct yeah like looking at them is bigger than her yes yeah yeah so um, now it's a rocco three krakoa one great yes um then we get the blight spoke fight between yeah. summoner and wolverine which shout out to joshua kasara and guru efx for i mean this whole book is gorgeous but this sequence in particular yeah. There's a page where like they clash swords and reality shatters and fractures and reforms and like the art styles change multiple times across the page and Yeah, you're talking about the one with like the um like like the web kind of looking thing and oh yeah, this no. One. Okay, there's that one. But, but then the next page after the Battle of Blight spoke text page is Yes. That's the one I'm looking at, where literally it's like this web fractured thing, and every one of them is in kind of a different art style. Yeah, bonus points to the one that has a literal Wolverine fighting a snake. Yes, correct. Um, The other one that I like is the Tron version of everybody. Yep. Uh, We get a... um, Chess pieces on a table. Yeah, we get chess pieces. We get like block, uh, like cardboard versions of them fighting each other. Uh, we get like super representational cave art. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I don't know. But like every one of these is super, super different. It's super cool. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, but yes, yeah, we, but Wolverine wins the fight and loses the point. Yep. So now we're Arako four, Krakoa one. Um, and then we learned something that we did not know, and that maybe nobody knew going in. If the cards revealed two members of the same side, they still they still end up in contest with each other. Yes, because Wolverine and Storm come up as the next two that have to fight. Um, 
and I guess fortunately their fight is not to the death, but it's a drinking contest. Yep. Because of course it is. And they get a little flirty, which is always welcome. I'm telling you what, if Ten of Swords has taught us anything, it's just exactly how horned all these mutants are. <laughs> yeah, that sounds accurate. Um... <laughs> And I'm and, not like maybe a big... that's the message we're supposed to learn all along. <laughs> <laughs> the real friends were the mutants you boned along the way. <laughs> um, I'm not a big like shipper, but there is a part of me that is always a little bit like, yeah, Storm and Wolverine do like do work so well together. Like I, I here's the thing: I really think those two understand each other very well. Well, and I can tell you exactly what has seeded that thought pattern in my brain. It's the X-Men animated series episode, uh, uh, One Man's Worth, which I learned recently. I always thought that was based on Age of Apocalypse. Age of Apocalypse is based on that. Okay. Um, But it's this, like, alternate timeline where Xavier was killed and Wolverine and Storm are married in that timeline. And, like, they end up sacrificing, like, knowingly sacrificing this world where they're together to restore the timeline to what it should be. Um, but that's that's what it all traces back to. I can guarantee it. Okay. But, yeah, they're in the, uh, they're in the crooked alley and um, having this drinking contest for which uh, Jasper is pouring the drink yep. and there's very clearly something up with this drink whatever it is and we learn what in a moment yeah um because uh logan's getting logan's getting messed up yeah <laughs> right and so when as they're drinking jasper ends up leaving the bar and going and we see him meeting war and war hands him a scarab which clearly is payment for him serving this alcohol to them. Yeah. War, um, who we've already learned is a poisoner. Nope, that was war. You like, just said war. No, oh, no, this was, oh, oh, this was death, I'm sorry. It's death oh. that gives him this, death giving the scarab is clearly gotcha. the, yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry. Uh, I did say the, I see, this time I said the wrong one. How about that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we take turns. There we go. It's fun uh, that way. But the good news is, because one of them won, Krakoa gets a point. <laughs> Yay! So now it's only four to two. Um, then we learn what the deal Wolverine made with Solemn was back in the last issue of Wolverine right, to get when, Muramasa. When Solemn gave him the Muramasa sword, yes. Yeah. And uh, what did Wolverine promise Solemn? Uh, Solemn basically told him, at some point, I'm going to call you to fight a battle for me. And this is that battle? And this is that battle. Um, it is. Who is Solemn fighting here? Solemn is fighting war, and this, I, I am right. getting the name right this time. It is yes. war. <laughs> yes, Solemn. So clearly, two Araco names came up, right? Yep. And Solemn is fighting war. Um, you might say Wolverine's between Araco and a hard place. <laughs> I don't know. It depends on how excited. Uh, 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 Summoner, or Solemn is. You've met Solemn. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough, sir. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, um, 
so yeah, we're, and we're, uh, it's, I guess it's kind of important to point out we are at this point cutting back and forth panels between Logan and Storm, right, getting drunk together, mm-hmm. and this battle about to start between Solomon and War. Yeah. And <laughs> Logan goes, looks at Storm and goes, you're drunk. And she's like, no, you're drunk. And Wolverine goes, I won. And Storm goes, no, I won. Wolverine goes, maybe we won as they lean forward to kiss each other. Mm-hmm. And then Logan disappears. <laughs> yep. Because he has been summoned by Solemn to fight this fight for him. Yeah. Yeah. And Wolverine realizes, wait, I'm drunk. That means my healing factor isn't working. Yeah. Oops. Oh, no. Because, um, yeah, it turns out that's what that alcohol does is turn off his healing factor. Yeah. And the the challenge for this fight is not a fight to the death. It's the first person to remove an appendage from their opponent. Yes. Wins. Um, turns out, turns out you don't want to fight Wolverine even if he's drunk and doesn't no. have his healing factor. No, um... Because he's still a badass. <laughs> the good news is Wolverine wins. The bad news is Solemn gets the point, so... Because it's Solemn's fight. Yep. Yeah, this is when it's like, this is where we're like, the rules are made up and the points don't matter, except maybe they do. Yeah. But, <laughs> but how you get the points clearly is kind of uh, arbitrary a bit. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so now it's Arako 5 and Krakoa 2, and that's where we've ended for this week. Yep. So we have we have next week X-Force 14, Hellion 6, which I am so curious to see how they fit back into this. Yeah. And Cable 6. Yeah. Then the following week are the last three chapters. Yeah, X-Men and Excalibur again, and then Ten of Swords Ten of Swords Destruction. Destruction. Yeah. Um so yeah, clearly when when they were setting this up, I mean I fully one hundred percent bought into it, right? Yeah. You got this impression that they were going to be paired off kind of one to one, right? And mm-hmm. each person was gonna have to fight a battle against someone from the other side. Yeah. And then potentially, you know, like maybe, maybe not the winners of that would face off against the winners of the other side. Until there was no one left on one side, maybe? That yeah. That's kind of how I was picturing it. Or just whoever had the most peop- the most team members left standing. Yeah, or whoever yeah. won the yeah, whoever won the most battles yeah. in one one pass, maybe. Something like yeah. that, right? Um clearly yeah, uh, that was all not right because yeah. we got teams fighting each other, we got points being awarded for marriages we got you know i don't know <laughs> I, I i still love it though i'm still absolutely digging this yeah i i just don't know what the fuck is going on now <laughs> i don't either but it makes me wonder like you know there's some people that we haven't even seen fight that like I, at this point i'm not even sure we're ever going to yeah i mean and we still we still haven't answered the question. I know you know, but we still haven't answered the question. Who is the tenth member of Krakoa's team? Correct. Uh, that has not come into play here yet. By the way, you are going to be absolutely delighted. Well, that narrows the field quite a bit. Um, I, I 
I will, I will, you know what? I will actually, I, I will, I, and I even know what the reward's going to be. I'm not going to tell you what it is, though. I will, I will get you something if, if you can <laughs> guess who it is. I mean, you just said I would be delighted, which does make me think Nightcrawler. Like, short list of X-Men characters who would delight me joining this battle. Nightcrawler, Laura Kinney, um, God, let's see Charles Xavier have to pick up a sword his damn self. <laughs> like, let him lift a finger. Okay, I don't have to get you anything because you're wrong on all this. Okay, yeah. that's fine. I look forward to being surprised. Yeah. Um, do you have any clue where this goes next? No, and that's part of what absolutely yeah. delights me. I like, I, I, as much as House of X, Powers of Tin, the first half of Tin of Swords, as much as those books have all like planted seeds and played with ideas and like, like we talked about last week with the history of Araka, like all the pieces pretty much were there just in different orders. Right. And you could kind of piece together. I don't feel like we have those breadcrumbs right now, or if we do, I'm missing them. I, I, here's the thing. I think we do in the sense of we're seeing the pieces be put into place, but not in a predictable. Oh, here's not in any way where we could like reasonably predict. Oh, here's what happens. Correct. Next. Correct. By the way, I should, I should point out that the reason Wolverine was able to want win is war was attempting to chop off his head with her sword. And hit his adamantium spine, which stopped him his head from being severed off. And that's when he cut off her hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and I you know, I just got the point to your point of, you know, we don't see the pieces flight. Uh Saturnine is literally sitting on Shogo while watching this fight. And clear like I said, very clearly that is part of one of the pieces being set in place to me. I just right. don't know what it means. Right. Um, one thing I am curious about the the predictions back in stasis, the the tarot cards for each of the members of Krakoa's team. So for Betsy, we saw her being pierced by multiple swords. Doug was him standing with someone else who, realistically, at this point, is Bay. Like, each holding a goblet of wine or something. We still don't know anything about what's up with Gorgon, right? He had the card that was just blank. Correct. And we haven't uh, seen which him fight maybe yet. maybe that means he doesn't fight. Yeah. Maybe he's just mascot. Right, like, like now that we know that maybe that's the whole thing is he doesn't fight, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we haven't seen Brian fight yet. He was the Knight of Pentacles. The The card there is like him riding a griffin, holding a sword up. Magic, we haven't... Well, we've seen arm wrestle, but we right. haven't seen anything that makes sense with the the card she pulled that's like her like thrusting her sword into the ground and energy coming out of it. We still haven't seen Cable Fight. Um, Wolverine's card was Strength, and that is him in this kind of like broken world with... Uh, uh, summoner holding him in a headlock. Yep. Obviously, so, we did see that. We've seen that happen. Yeah. And Storm was her riding a horse with an army behind her. Death. Right. Death. So we still haven't oh. seen. 
there's a thought. What if Storm somehow inherits the White Sword? That would be interesting. Like, I think a lot of people, just based on Chatter Online, have sort of expected her to, like, pick up Annihilation's helm. But that may make more sense. Right, because then literally she has this army of that she resurrects from the dead constantly to fight for her. Yeah. Ooh, I like that thought. All right. That's all I got for X-Men. Anything yeah, else okay, from you? Yeah, okay, wow. That took some time, but well, well worth it, because damn. Again, I'm like, I don't know where, the, I, there, I could make no prediction. This is this is bouncing around, in so many, but I love every single moment of this. Yep. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Champions number two and Miss Marvel number 16, starting with Champions. All right, so, um, yeah, this this picks up very clearly from from where this first one left off which is you know this meeting that they had kind of broke up and we see that there's a lot of team you know well i guess firstly i should say we see what happened to um snowguard and some of the others yeah that were caught which i will say this very clearly this issue has to be set after what's going on in miles morales right now okay because both Bombshell and Starling were in the last issue of Miles. Okay. And we see them held here, too. But, uh, yeah, they are in what is essentially a re-education center. Yeah. That, that doesn't conjure up any horrific thoughts at all. I mean, they they out and out make some comparisons to, like, real-world re-education camps. Yes. Yeah. Concentration camps, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then we get, we see that in Chicago, there's essentially these, this massive protests by teens against, you know, Kamala's law, you know, about, and they're like, you know, no, we support our team here as blah, blah, blah. And then we get, of course, of course, somebody speaking out for the other side saying, you don't represent all of us. And some of us teens are scared by, you know, these people with superpowers and blah, blah, blah. I really need to know, I mean, I don't need to know. I wonder how much of this issue was written or even rewritten during the hiatus and in response to the Black Lives Matter protests. That's a good question. I mean, because, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's anything new. If it was written before, then it's just incredibly timely and the foresight is uncanny if it's written after like i think it's doing a smart job of picking up ideas like you have a movement that is protesting for rights and the way bad actors come in in parallel with or in tandem with authoritarian agents as an excuse to crack down on protesters yes as an excuse to escalate and like so much of that happening during the Black Lives Matter protests, and then seeing it again here, like, one, this is maybe the first issue of this where, like, the concept of Outlawed has really clicked into place for me. Like, I think either way, whether this was always the plan or this was rewritten. Uh, here's the thing. I think enough protests and and movements like this have happened even before, you know, the recent Black Lives Matter stuff right. earlier this year, that this very likely was in concept like this yeah. before that. And I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I just, it's, it's, in either case, I think it is 
doing something that is more subtle and more grounded in the real world and doing it more successfully, for me at least, yes, than a lot of like Civil War or other hero versus hero comics have done. Uh, I mean, it feels like about half this issue is just the protest and maybe a third of the issue, the issue is the protest and characters like we've never seen before who are just the speakers at the protest speaking. Yeah. And it was not until until Miss Marvel and Nova and Spider-Man like showed up on a rooftop nearby that I even realized, oh right, we haven't actually seen any of the the core champions team in this champion book yet. Right. I think it worked really well for me. Um Yeah, and and Nova can't wait. He just jumps down because people are starting to get hurt. Yeah. And of course Cradle is there, so you know, that goes yeah. poorly. They claim jurisdiction and start rounding up the the protesters who are against Cradle and Kamala's law. Um and meanwhile they've tried to call in Riri because it's her hometown and she might have insight in how to handle it. And she's not picking up. Correct. She's laying on a couch in depression, essentially. Yeah. And we find out why. Can I, can I point out that I am now super happy that I know that canonically they're about this serial that exists in the Marvel Universe? Yes, please. What is this serial? Well, it's new flavor-hammered Thorios. <laughs> I want to know, like, I need a one shot. <laughs> I might need a mini series or an ongoing. I need a book that's like damage control, I guess, but for the marketing teams that try to work with and license the Avengers yes! for products. Like, can you imagine a book that is just Captain America stuck at a conference table while people are pitching him on? I don't know, Captain America shield-shaped sleds and things like that. <laughs> like, this footage of you sliding down this snowy bank on your shield went viral. We want to market these to children in caps like, No! Don't get hurt! You can't do that! But but we've already made 20,000 of them. <laughs> the Avengers will buy them off of you. Good day, sir. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, TM, 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 TM. Marvel, call us. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so then these three, Miles and Kamala and Sam, show up at Riri's house since she didn't respond. Yeah. And Sam proceeds to completely misinterpret why she's depressed. Yes. You know, basically, yeah, fine, you didn't respond. If you don't want to be ironheart anymore just say so and let us all get over it and move on this, well that, and to him other. it's right. about she was already established as this brilliant scientist before she was ironheart so she can be other things right like yes. but he doesn't know who he is without being nova correct um which and honestly then we sounds a little bit that, more um, like a problem for him yeah clearly yeah yeah that was very clearly projection right yeah and that maybe he wishes he had a, something else he could be yeah. Some like, other thing to find him. But. Work-life balance is important, kids. Hey. Um, turns out that they kind of led Cradle to her house. Yeah. And so, like, you see her suit up in Ironheart, and they're like, wait, you were wearing the uh, the gauntlet all along? She was like, yeah. Didn't want to be Ironheart anymore. What are you, stupid? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. 
turns out that what she was worried about was the fact that she didn't have a secret identity. Everybody knows who she is. Yeah. And therefore, because of this law, even though she ha- she essentially has a mentor, so she could remain and keep being Ironheart because she has Tony, yeah. that, you know, she is super afraid of the blow- blowback on her family. Right. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. That's why she's depressed, is but not because she doesn't want to be Ironheart anymore, but because she can't be. Because she's read a Spider-Man comic and knows how that goes. <laughs> if not, pick up this week's, because holy shit. <laughs> this team has made enough deals with Mephisto already. <laughs> yes. Uh, but of course, we get another thing of, uh, you know, what I, uh, I guess it's Miles who says something about, oh, there's a lot of cradle people out there, and Miles just says, maybe we should just go with them and give up right and we see viv kind of watching them right and saying yes please just stop fighting them because you know we we learned last issue that viv is the one who is turning them in yeah but and i think i've guessed then like maybe there's still that that doppelganger of viv the viv 2.0 running around in some way but i think this is just she feels guilty about her role in everything yeah i think that's a lot of it and she does she she literally just wants them all stopped so they can't get hurt yeah. I literally think that's what this is. Yeah. Um but you know, at some point she'll realize that's not her choice to make maybe. I'm I'm guessing next issue based on the cover. Yeah. But uh there we go. That's yep. that's pretty much it. Um I'm not going to hit Magnificent Miss Marvel too too hard. Yeah. But we learn a couple of things here that answer some questions I had had. First off, the why does Kamala not just say no? I'm Miss Marvel. I do not support this law. And it's because her parents don't want her to go on the record because they don't want to bring down any more attention on her than is already there. They know that it would be risky and dangerous for her to speak out against the law. Um, And one of the things... I don't know how true that rings, though. Well, one of the things the issue does very well, and this is, I mean, this comes from having a Muslim person writing the book is talking about how for Kamala's whole life she kind of feels like there's been a target on her just for who she was born. And that that target feels bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. Yeah, okay, that's fair. And And it's it's, it's super easy to forget that even though these people are superheroes and they do these amazing things and they, they do what's right, they are still teenagers and are therefore are tend to doubt the decisions that they make a lot. Right. And she is a Muslim person in America. So there's, there is racist attention on her too. Like there is all kinds of xenophobia working against her. There's a whole lot of natural insecurity that comes with being a teenager though. Yeah. Oh no, I, I, I think it's both for sure. Yeah. But, um, it's not just one or just the other. Correct. Um, but then we see her go to the juice bar where she's been hanging out at, and Cradle comes in looking for Amulet, who is a new character who was introduced a few issues ago, uh, who is a Muslim kid from Dearborn, Michigan, who, we learn in this issue kind of what his thing is, he comes from a family of demon hunters, um, his grandmother trained him, and she hunted demons before, hunting these, like, thousand relics with different ghouls in them and like one pops up so they're like he's like nah my cousin actually runs this place they got this under control 
why don't you come help me take care of the school? And like, it's a team up issue after that. It's, it's a really nice change of pace uh, from some of the cradle stuff that's going on. And then at the end, someone tries to tip off Cradle that they know where they can catch okay. Miss Marvel. Can I, can, I do want to say one thing, and that is probably the cringiest thing about this whole thing, is the fact that this organization is called Cradle. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I hate that. In a way, like, I absolutely hate it, and I think you're supposed to, right? Like, yeah. in a very, this is the kind of stupid fascist shit that would be Yeah, yeah. That's done very fair. in the real world. Yeah. Is being done. Um, I'm so sad that Saladin Ahmed is leaving this book soon, but I love the statement he made about how, no, that's part of the, the joy of the thing is finishing and getting to see who does what with it next. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm still loving this book. Let's talk Amazing Spider-Man 52 and 52 point LR. Ah, man. Yeah. Let's snap to it. We're going to talk about them together because, gun to my head, I could not tell you what happens in which. Well, I'm thinking you can probably guess what happens at the end of Spider-Man. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, We have (laughs) uh, Thanos has his snap and Kindred has his. I was going to say, I can tell you what happens at the end of Spider-Man. You know, the end of Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, Spidey got to quit making deals with the devil. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, oh, like how hurtful was it to see I mean, we knew we knew what Kindred had done, right? Yeah. And gathering all of these skeletal remains of these people. But damn, to have them paraded and Yeah, to listed. make your very own Spider Man's last supper. Oh, oh what an ass. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can I tell you who I'm most proud of in this book? That this one? I feel like Norman Osborne is the thing that's going to come out of your mouth, and I'm a little terrified to hear those words. No, actually, it's not this book. It's 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 LR. So I'll, well, yeah, which I what you, we're talking about it together. Uh, yeah. You're very close though. No, it's Mary Jane. That's fair. And her reaction to waking up and being with Norman Osborne. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And like you know. Uh, uh, What's her name? Kafka. Ashley Kafka comes in and like, no, like I've studied people that Sin Eater has cleansed and like they are different people. And she's like, I know you're a respected psychologist and and like, so I respect your opinion and all that, but I don't fucking care. It's Norman Osborn and I will never (laughs) trust him. (laughs) Which is, I think, a reasonable response. Good on you, Mary Jane. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Kafka, we also see Sin Eater's plan moving forward, which is transforming some of his acolytes into giant bugs. Um, okay, I do want to, because I, I, I was a little unclear about this. Are they bugs or are they spiders? Spiders are bugs. Spiders are not insects. That's fair. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. and they definitely are spiders. You can look at them and see now. Yeah, they they are spiders. It's so it's the the same chemical that was used back in Dan Slott's Spider Island story. Right, right, right. Okay, that makes sense. And that also makes sense because of who we see on the next page, which is we find out what happened to Moreland after all this time. Yes, because the Sin Eater's big plan here to prove himself to God or Kindred or maybe he thinks they're the same. I'm really not sure at this point. Yeah. Is to is to cleanse Morlin of his sins. Yes. And also thereby absorb his powers. 
Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're really putting Spidey and friends through the ringer here, huh? Yeah. So the good news is, uh, because uh, Spidey made this deal with Kindred, uh, the other Spider folk are no longer like possessed and like killing people. And now they're teaming up with Doctor Strange. And Black Cat. And Black Cat. Yes. The bad news, however, is Peter's dead. Yeah, so that, um, we talked about that. So that happened at the end of the, the, the Spider-Man, and yeah, so the deal that he made was essentially, yeah, you know what, I don't care, kill me, but leave them alone. They didn't do this. He's like, okay, deal, and frees yeah. them and snaps Peter's neck. Yeah, I've got to imagine he'll get better. I mean, you would think Marvel's not going to do that to Spider-Man for forever, but you know. <laughs> yeah, that's what the Ultimate Universe was for. Uh yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, they agree to. Um, the Spider Folk are going to go with Doctor Strange to track down Peter, and Black Cat's going to stay behind and guard the hand of Vishanti so it doesn't get stolen again. Because who better to keep it safe than the last person who stole it? Uh, she turns and looks at it and says, hmm, it is a really nice piece. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what's up with that last page, though? Of 52 or 50, I guess 52.LR? Yeah. So we find out that they are essentially in the astral plane, Stephen, Stephen and, and all the spider folk. And, you know, he says something about, you know, there's a lot of dangers here on a good day, and this is not a good day. And we see some glowy eye clearly not nice form of mary jane watching them are we sure it's mary jane no but it looks like her it does but like are there any other redheads in peter parker's life <sighs> i don't think there are I, uh, yeah i don't know who else it would be i tell you what though if this book finally answers the the question of what happened at the end of the cliffhanger in the spider-man animated series from the early 90s it will be my new favorite spider-man run. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what this is doing, bring it on. Bring it on. All right. There's no way that's what this is doing. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Marvel Action Chillers. Uh, I'm going to be super quick here. This is from IDW, uh, who publishes the Marvel Action line, which is an all-ages comic line. Uh, written by friend of the show, Jeremy Whitley. With art from Seth Smith, Greta Lusky, Derek Charm, and Nahuel Ruiz. And this is framed by Riri Williams coming in for an appointment with Tony to find his tower or his, his lab in his tower trashed and a becaped figure looking around, whom she greets, Hey Dracula, where is my mentor and what have you? At which point Stephen Strange stops the uh, 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 bullets or whatever and says, If I were Dracula, I assure you that smoke grenades and flashbangs would do nothing to harm me. Riri Williams and Stephen Strange team up to figure out what's gone wrong. Brian, would you like to guess what dumb thing Tony has done that has led to his disappearance and his lab being wrecked? A dumb thing that Tony has done? Hint, it's one I might do. Did he read from the book? He read from the book! <laughs> Thank you. Okay, now do you believe us? No. God Because this is the book of Shuma Garoth. I'm really talking about the Necronomicon normally. <laughs> Two totally different books. <laughs> um, so the book has left 
pages for uh, uh, Stephen to find. Stephen knew the book was there, had told Tony, whatever you do, don't open or read or interact with the book. I'm on my way. Tony had to try to figure out what was up with it. So the middle portion of this book is the book telling Stephen the story, Stephen and Riri the story of what happened. Um, And they go off to try to track Tony, who is trapped in his armor, which the book controls, and is stuck, like, watching as the book through the armor tries to open up a portal to bring Shumagaroth to Earth. And setting up the next issue, on his trail, Riri finds the clawed-up helmet of Captain America and Captain America's shield. The cover for the next issue is a teenaged Elsa Bloodstone. You know what we're getting next. Elsa Bloodstone versus Capwolf. Oh, boy. Uh... I had so much fun with this book. Definitely check it out if you enjoy, like, goofy, spoopy superhero stuff. Yep. Spooperhero, if you will. Yep. Punchline one shot over at DC. Um, okay, I really enjoyed this for a couple of reasons. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I've already talked enough on this show about why I like this character, mostly because it's it's different mm-hmm. than, than Harley and what I expected them to tr- do, which was just, oh, Harley's a popular character. Let's just reintroduce another one of her. Yeah. Right? Um, Palette swap. The other thing that I like is, like, every every story we get about her, like, makes her more complicated. Yes. I really like that. To the point like, of, you think you know what her motivation is and what's driving her, but you know enough that you know you might be mistaken about that? Yeah. Well, and I think what remains consistent is if she had one superpower, yeah. it would be plausible deniability. <laughs> the ultimate politician. Right? Yes. Um, I like the way that this book frames telling her extended backstory. Um, because it finds a way to do it that, at the same time, gives us, I am sure, the actual beats, but does it in her voice. Yeah. And gives it that air of, can you totally trust it? it, 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 It's the most interesting way to give this backstory exposition without, like, but organically in what's going on in modern times. Yeah. And that is via podcast. Yeah, she has made all. She has made this episode of you know this this whole series of podcasts, and, like ninety two episodes or something. Yeah, and one of the characters specifically, um, Colin Rowe. Yeah, Harper Rowe's brother is listening to all of them, and I mean, kind of, kind of in the same vein as why Champions really worked for me. There is something so just like timely about the way this is handling like cult radicalization yeah i mean this is so much the same kind of of recruitment process as the the QAnon bullshit yeah where it's like let's start with a plausible premise and then we're going to add another layer that's a little less believable but if you've bought layer a it's layer b sounds like layer it's okay b, right and then you just keep layering in idea, idea, 
idea until finally like we see the confrontation between harper and colin where he says look i mean and these are the things you, you hear radicalized QAnon members say like look no this once you have to i'm not meeting you in the middle you have to meet me on my side i'm not having this conversation you're wrong she's misunderstood blah 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 it's like it's this cult of personality it's this well of like conspiratorial bullshit that leads to just a rejection of what's obviously in front of you which is she worked with the joker to take over the city like colin at one point argues well but but she did these things, but did she really mean to? Did she kill anyone? Well, no, she still did the thing. She still committed all these crimes. Yeah. But it's designed to, like, break down the the rhetoric of how people talk about the legal process around her to change public perception. It's It's terrifying, but it's also really, really, really well done. Yeah. And I like how they pull in other kind of current things. Like, one of the things is... When he's getting started, like the one of the ways he gets pulled into this, right, is he goes, he gets online to play video games, right? And yeah. he's in what's essentially like a Call of Duty type type game, right? And we see the chat log for it mm-hmm. that's going on. And one of the people, you know, DMs him in it and, you know, starts talking about her. And, you know, there's a bunch of just garbage talk in the general chat first, right? Like, uh, oh, can you believe that she sent this out? And, like, you know, people making inappropriate comments about her body and, you know, like, what yeah. would probably happen in a chat, right? Um, And then somebody DMing him saying, yeah, those people are idiots, dude. I can't believe that they're talking about her in such a cringy way and this, that, and the other. And he's like, yeah, and, like, gets gets the conversation started with that. Yeah. Right? And then starts talking about, well, yeah, blah, blah. and he's like, "Well, how do you know this about her?" And he's like, "Well, have you not listened to her podcast, right?" And this is how he gets pulled in. Yeah, and like, if you want to get into the actual history of the way that that right wing radical groups have spread through the U.S., it started with GamerGate. Yeah, like in in very tangible ways, GamerGate was the test balloon, and where the process for and it's the exact process that we see here finding people who are a little bit loner a little bit outsider being pushed out of what is already sort of a fringe group yeah i mean i think in 2020 gamers are less a fringe group than they were in 2010 but to some degree and then trying to like build some sort of of camaraderie as a way to introduce to, again, what ultimately started as kind of harmless premises. No, but here's the difference, right? Like, it, it's always the way that organizations and cults are certainly, you know, among these organizations, but it's not just cults. It's, uh, you know, most organizations, right? The way they were uh, certainly, um, when I say organizations, I mean these types of organizations, right? Whether they're cults or just, you know, radical political movements or whatever, right? Yeah. They've always targeted, you know, outside people, right? Right. Um, It's just, you know, it used to be you had to, like, find them in a school or find them at a coffee shop or, you know, you had to actually find them. Well, online, right, has drastically increased their ability to find these people. In Soviet Russia, fascist finds you. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, like, like all of this is super clear, super easy to 
to find. And what I love is kind of like you said, they interject things that like even reasonable people will agree to. Right. Yeah. Like there's one point where she talks about, you know, when the Joker made the, which is, I, I love this part. When Joker made the Joker fish, right. Uh-huh. When he poisoned the, the food supply of Gotham to create the Joker fish, right. That once the city cleaned that up, right. They took, they captured some of the Joker fish and put them in the Gotham aquarium, right? As part of a memorial to the people that died during that event, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, but by the way, they make Joker fish plushies that they sell in the gift shop, and the government actually owns that license and gets the money for that. Yeah, when patenting that was the Joker's whole point with that scheme anyway. Correct. Um. Yeah. So, like, you're like, yeah, that's pretty shitty that the city is making money off of this, right? Yeah. Uh, so, like, that's something that, like, yeah, even reasonable people could agree and identify with that. And once you take one step, it's easier to take the second. Yep. Yeah. So I love um, that there's these reasonable things. But I also love that in addition to, as we go further through episodes of this podcast, right, we, we as the reader, get to physically see her in these get more and more off the deep end yeah 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 as she sort of of buys into her or maybe she buys it already and this is part of a plan like that's 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 the piece that's maybe a little ambiguous here right like how much of this is is uh uh planned how much of this is premeditated right um how much of it is her covering her own tracks the whole time and like I think that's that's I think maybe what makes what makes this kind of so terrifying is just how much like the goal of radi- radicalization in this way is to get you to accept the 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 line the premise the the conspiracy over the truth. And I think the thing that is in the air through her podcast episodes that we we read pieces of is like at what point is the truth for her the Joker is right, and at what point is she sort of buying into this? I think it's a scarier thing if... I don't know. I don't know if it's a scarier thing if the whole time her endgame is getting close to the Joker, or if in real time we're watching her fall down this this rabbit hole in earnest. Yeah. What does become clear, though, is... She is an absolute master manipulator. Oh, absolutely. And incredibly charismatic. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like the the part of the issue where she calls Leslie and thanks her for saying that she was competent to stand trial. Yes. Yes. Like that moment, while maybe not unexpected, is like just the most devious part of all of this yeah because it's at that moment where like you see how everything in the crowd and her entrance in the full punchline costume yeah for trial like has all come together to sort of give her this underdog celebrity now looking at what we talked about earlier and given her charisma and her like can you not see her easily easily gaining political office and and 
rising super far. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I say that not just as someone whose hometown elected a QAnon nut to Congress. Yeah, no, I, I could easily see that. And I know that one of the threads that, that Tynan's going to be playing with is sort of the political structure of Gotham. Yeah, yeah. Because there's some solicitation text that talks about a new mayor. And then lest we lose it in, in all of this talk of, uh, of Punchline and, and her character, uh, we also get Harper returning as Bluebird. Yes, which makes me personally very happy. Yeah. Wait, is that the is that the tenth member of of Krakoa's team? Is it a Bluebird Damn it. crossover? Damn it! Now I gotta buy you some. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'll tell you, wouldn't that be the strangest place to do a Marvel DC crossover? <laughs> yes, yes, it would. All right, Dark Knights, Death Metal, Infinite Hours, Extreme one shot. <laughs> extreme with three x's what would anything less suffice for the main man nope i i tend to be a little maybe just maybe just a shade past lukewarm and okay there are great uses of lobo but by default doesn't always do it for me yes that is lobo is a character that can easily be awful yeah like Favorite Lobo is still probably that episode of Justice League where Superman is presumed dead, so Lobo decides he will join the Justice League in Superman's place because they need him. <laughs> um, when Lobo but I tell is you used what, well, then he can be very effective. If anything's going to unseat it, it might be this. Um, this is split before and after uh, Lobo's exchange with Lex Luthor on the moon in death metal guidebook yes um it starts out with him in a space bar having gone to collect a bounty and having ripped off most everyone's arms because no one would tell him where his bounty was it was literally the first person he killed he just didn't give them time yeah and he is interrupted by whom brian well uh, i i love that he he literally ripped off people's arms and beat them to death with them yes (laughs) yes uh, Someone's a yeah, fan of Magnus um, Burnside's. It's it's Frazetta Batman shows up. <laughs> I saw that page in preview, and the moment I did, I th- that that page yes. is why this wound up on my my this week's books segment list. <laughs> it's literally uh, the Batman who frags with his chain. This the by the way. So you know how Lobo has his hooks, right? His chain yeah. hooks. Batman has his chain hooks, but it, it's not a hook at the end. It's a, it's a batarang. <laughs> yeah. He is a Bruce Wayne who injected himself with Zarnian DNA. Yes. And if there is a better sequence of panels than Alfred carrying a tray with a cloche over it to Batman as he does this and removing the cloche to reveal a bottle of whiskey, I don't know what it is. Oh, and a bat cigar. <laughs> And a bat cigar. <laughs> yes. It's literally a cigar with a bat symbol on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that, that page with, with, with the Batman who frags with like Lobo laying on the ground and he's got his big old bat metal spiked boot on him. And, and like, it's just yeah. really good. Um, and then we see him have his first conversation with Lex. Yes. Uh, we see him then, it basically jumps after that to him looking for the, the death metal, 
uh, he visits Hawkman on Challenger's Island and finds the death metal, which he, of course, cannot resist using to create his own pocket dimension with an entire Lobo Justice League. And so the like, is, is it, single is it pages. One, is it one universe he creates, or is each of these a separate? Um... I think because of the fate of the Batman who frags, we must assume that it is a single universe. Uh, okay, you know what? Yeah, I could buy that. But uh, yeah, so we get uh... Baby Lobo and a Kryptonian rocket flipping off the Kints is. <laughs> Yeah, so the kids come and open the rocket, <laughs> and it's Baby Lobo flipping them off. Yeah, um, that is fantastic. The the Lobo trying to do wealthy person dialogue for Batman's parents is art, capital A art. <laughs> um, we get just like Pretty, single, my single dear sweetheart, and all that other rich weenie barf. <laughs> It's just this series of individual page origin stories for each of these characters. Um, and they're they're hilarious. I I don't know that this is the world's deepest tie-in to Death Metal, but it's my favorite so far. I, the, the most disturbing has to be Lobo Wonder Woman, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Who, by the way, does love the dolphins. Yeah, well, I mean, Dolphins and babies. These are the reasons Lobo will keep the universe from being destroyed. Yeah. Also money. Dolphins, babies, and money. I I I loved it. That's it. That's all. Yeah, it's just it's, it's just real good. Alright, is it still good? Seven Secrets, number four. Uh the present day events of the first issue finally catch up with everyone, and we learn that uh, there may be one more relationship that had not been disclosed so far. Oops. There may be more than one. This is a book all about secrets. I think we're going to get a lot of secrets. Maybe as time seven goes of on. them. Yeah, maybe. We only find them when they're dead, number three. Unless we find them when they're alive. Injustice, year zero, number ten, Brian. Um, yeah, so, uh, this is more of joker uh this is this is more of joker controlling jay and um superman and flash trying to stop him and let's just say um you know he kind of hit a brick wall superman number 27 brian uh yeah so superman is battling but trying not to battle um oh shoot now i can't think of his name uh sinmar sinmar yeah um, I'm actually really enjoying this. I read like the last three, I think, together. Yeah, here. I'm really enjoying this story and how they're lining it up with, um, Superman trying to not fight him. I agree. Like, like I, I feel like he's actually listened to and learned some lessons from from Diana recently. I also am really curious to see how the rest of this series wraps up in yeah. an issue, which is all that is left. Yeah. Uh, I also really am curious about the whole Lois Lana storyline that's, that's set up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, lots of new ideas for only one issue left in this run. Yeah. Which I think maybe it all gets tied up in the last action comics. That's like, certainly They may all dovetail possible. there. Yeah. Wonder Woman, number 766, Brian. Um... 
I, I, I'm going to steal Alex's comment, which is Wonder Woman does his best, does her best uh, Matt Murdock impression. <laughs> uh, and stops Count Vertigo and. Uh, hey, turns out Max Lord is Max Lord. <laughs> Getting it together, number two. Uh, Sam and Lauren try just being friends, and they're bad at it. Wait, Strange Getting Academy. it together, is this, a, is this an X book? <laughs> uh, it is horny enough to be one. Okay. Strange Academy, number five. Uh, everyone realizes that one of the students has been missing for a day and that nobody had noticed. So they go to save him and then need to send for reinforcements to save them. Taskmaster number one. Look, if we had not spent so long on X-Men, I would have talked longer about this. Um, This is so, so good and so, so funny. Uh, Taskmaster has been hired to play in a celebrity golf tournament. And while on the green someone starts trying to kill him. And at first he's not sure they're trying to kill him because frankly, anyone on the green could be the target because they're all terrible people. But it turns out, no, it is him. The the would-be assassin continues following him. And he gets a phone call. Brian, would you care to guess what Taskmaster's ringtone is? I, no, 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 nothing's coming to mind. Working nine to five, what a way to make a living. Wow. You know, it, it does strike me, though, if he's playing in a celebrity golf tournament, couldn't he just watch everybody else did. swing first and then he, pick the one that did the best and copy it? He spent the night watching footage of Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods, and others. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. So he gets a mysterious call saying, hey, meet me at this exit if you want to live and want to know why someone's trying to kill you. Gets there. It's Nick Fury Jr., who tells him, yep, uh, you've been framed for the murder of Maria Hill. I know it's not you. And you know that I know it's not you because you'd be dead now if it had been you. And you're going to help me clear your name and find out who did it. Also, that's the Black Widow trying to kill you. So you don't want to take your chances. So this is a Nick Fury Taskmaster team-up book. Oh, shit. In order to decrypt Maria Hill's codes... Taskmaster will have to mimic the the body language of Phil Coulson, of Okoye, and of a third character who I'm not familiar with who works in Korean intelligence. Uh, is it White Fox? The character's name is Amy Han. Yep, that's director her. Director of... Okay, cool. Yep, that's her. But because this machine requires such accuracy, he will have to observe them in person. So the next issue or issues are... Fury and Taskmaster infiltrating each of their organizations in order to study them. All right, then. Yep. This week's books. Brian. Yes, sir. You have some number ones. I do. Barbalian, Red Planet number one. Yeah, this is another um, This is another deep dive into a single character from the Black Hammer universe. Um, this was a little bit interesting. This is going to, obviously, it's going to tell about uh, Barbalian. But uh, it, it's basically kind of his history in the 80s of, uh, you know, dealing with identity issues and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the 80s reaction to homosexuals, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the AIDS crisis. And the AIDS crisis. Yep. Yeah. Uh, both of my picks this week, because, well, Brian has one on his list that I missed in making mine, and I'm glad he is mentioning. 
But my two picks this week are both last issues. Uh, first, the last issue of Kelly Sudaconic's Aquaman run is oh. out this week. Uh, it has been fantastic so yeah. far, and I'm looking forward to seeing how she ties everything up and leaves things. Yeah. Uh, Brian, you have Marvel Voices, Indigenous Voices, which I can't believe I almost missed. Yeah. Now, yeah, this is, uh, this is you know, all of the um, uh, Indigenous American creators writing stories about uh, different different characters, and it, it sounds super super cool yeah the first marvel voices was a lot of fun so i'm looking forward to this too yeah and then we also have the last issue of heist or how to steal a planet number eight uh which i mentioned here because i i feel like this probably flew under the radar even though we talked about it some um it's the the end of the series, and I definitely think this is worth checking out in trade if you haven't looked it up already. It is literally a plot to steal a planet from a mega corporation that owns it. All right, and that will do it for us. We'd like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. You can visit us at panelologypodcast.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com/panelology. Get merch at bit.ly/panelologymerch. Capital P, capital M. Or send us questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash panelology mailbag. Capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. Go read comics, because there could be more at Ten of Swords next week. This week. (laughs) 